Now, we continue with Mile High Magazine. Here's your host, Adam Morgan. For nearly 30 years, African-American actor Christoph St. John portrayed the character Neil Winters on the daytime soap opera Young and the Restless. USA Today reported on January 21st, St. John retweeted somebody's post that stated, Grieving the loss of a child is a process. It begins the day your child passes and ends the day the parent joins them. To this, Christoph St. John added, Never a truer word was spoken. Two weeks later, Christoph St. John died, leaving a daughter and a fiancé. Greetings again. I'm Adam Morgan. Although the soap opera star's cause of death has been deferred pending toxicology reports, the initial observation is alcohol poisoning. However, are there other factors also involved? Four years ago, Christoph St. John lost his only son, Julian, to suicide. On the day of his death, Christoph called his fiancée and reported to her that he had seen his son, Julian, and Julian was coming to take him for a walk. It begs the observation The overwhelming focus of mental health and suicide is placed upon prevention, and rightly so. However, at the same time, should a greater attention also be focused upon those left behind who must cope and struggle with the loss of a loved one? Guiding us through this aspect of the grieving process and the support we can give, from the Jefferson Center for Mental Health is the Manager for Trauma, Suicide Prevention, and Veteran and Military Services, Dr. Heather Trish. Um, it's very difficult to be left behind. Uh, you mentioned the death of this uh, man's son, and yeah. that is a risk factor for suicide. You know, we need to be aware of those things and those who are grieving a suicide death. But a connected social network, uh, mental health support, absolutely uh, can be beneficial. Uh, exercise, you know, staying engaged. And those aren't things you necessarily feel like doing post-suicide. And you said what you feel like doing. So is the grieving process individualistic? Absolutely. And and so what some people will do, other ones will not do? Yes. And people have to know that? Yes, it's it's very diverse. Uh, Some folks... uh, become very depressed and and isolated and kind of go inward. Some folks are uh, activated and start taking action to um, motivate around suicide prevention. Uh, We've seen that in the news recently. Um, Some folks are angry. Some folks feel guilty and responsible. Um, It's, it's a, it's a wave. It, it, it is diverse and it's, and it's often changing. There's not just one way that someone might grieve. That changes over time for sure. It changes over time. It sure can. different than when it starts. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's a process. I mean, uh, when we talk about suicide and, and uh, surviving a suicide death of a loved one, um, that, that can feel like waves crashing. You know, you're, you're kind of okay and then you're really, really not okay. And, yeah. and it does change over time, yes. Does, does, does a person... Um, sit there and try to figure out which grieving process is going to be good for them, or does it just kind of happen? It just happens. You know, we're all unique individuals, and based on life experience and the resources that you have or the resiliency that you have, um, all those things come into play when you are going through an experience like that. A lot of people, too, I guess, no, not a lot of people, but I understand that some people spend time thinking about how they could have prevented it and start feeling guilty 
Absolutely. I think that's a really common one. Really? Um, that's something that I, I definitely hear about. And uh, it's a difficult one to, to walk through with someone um, going through the steps of maybe signs that they thought that they should have been able to see. That's why education and suicide prevention, um, going to a gatekeeper training, for example, would be so important. Um, there are so many people in our lives, personally, professionally, who might be struggling with, with suicide among other mental health concerns, and to know what that looks like so you know how to reach out, so you know how to connect them with the support that they might need. That's a really important and beneficial thing to do. But to feel guilty on things that you might not have seen, um, you can't go back and change that past, and often it's not accurate anyway. Yeah, not accurate. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and so the the yeah, but, yeah, but I could have, yeah, but I should have been there, yeah, but, mm-hmm. especially – in most cases, they don't know what's coming. We know that there are a great percentage of folks who die by suicide who who did show signs before their death, whether that's depressive symptoms or, or isolating or disconnecting from normal routines, you know, preparing for their death. They have a, a history in their lives, like you mentioned before, of a suicide death in their close personal social circle, maybe their family or close friends. Um, There's a lot of risk factors um, that might go into that. But yeah, you want to make sure that that you know the signs so that you can see when someone's struggling. When you talk about signs, in other programs, we've gone through the signs that a suicide may be imminent with Mm -hmm. someone. But when it happens to you and it's a family member, something like that, are there signs you have to look at in yourself, you don't flatten out that you you that that you don't become depressed that you don't start thinking thinking in those terms. Do you look at what you're doing? Maybe you're isolating yourself more, moving away, and you have to know that this is me now. Mm-hmm. And it's probably hard to see because you're in the forest for the trees. Sure, um, I think what you're trying to get at is you know how do I make sure that I'm looking out for what I need after a suicide death. Yeah, yes, it's like a caregiver taking care of somebody. They don't end up taking care of themselves. Yes. Well, um, I don't think that that's often the first concern when when folks are in such extreme pain. Mm -hmm. You know, that might be something that their loved ones notice. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes they might notice that, but that's probably not first on their minds. They're they're, They're focused on maybe the questions, right? What could I have done? What did I miss? Um, They're focused on taking care of uh, family members that remain, right, and making sure the kids are okay, you know, that grandma and grandpa are okay, that, you know, that they're focused on on taking care of others. Um, Yeah, you can miss taking care of yourself. Is this a part of uh, something I read called survivor's PTSD? So – Or am I – or is is that a different – application of the term. So PTSD is a very distinct uh, mental health condition, but uh-huh. survivor guilt is is definitely a term that is in existence, and it, it means you feel guilty for something that maybe you, you felt like you should have done at the time. But in that survivor guilt, you tend to overestimate the power and control and choices that you had in that moment, in that experience, mm-hmm. and um, underestimate the challenges and obstacles with which you had to face. Um, and so uh, the survivor guilt is is one that, it, that is a huge burden and um, one that can be helped over time, mm-hmm. uh, maybe by mental health support, maybe by those around you who are also grieving, um, and that you join in that grief and get the support that you need in that way. 
Yeah, I, I kept framing it as survivor PTSD because it seems as if um, between the potential isolation, the guilt, and several other things that could go on with somebody who's left behind, it seems like it's post-traumatic mm-hmm. of the event itself. Yes. When taken collectively. Suicide uh, absolutely counts as a traumatic experience for sure. And can somebody develop PTSD post-suicide? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you can also experience or develop PTSD symptoms a variety of other ways. Um, But post-suicide, yeah, there's a lot that folks are going through. It's a great struggle. And it's it's not as traumatic, I guess, when you know the person who – the person who committed the suicide was doing so because they had a health condition or something that was going to be terminal anyway, and they just decided to do it earlier. And there's still some trauma there, but Absolutely. it's easier to accept. Is that it? I, I don't know that I would agree with that statement. Okay. I think that depends on the person. Um, there's lots of reasons that people are in so much distress, re- relational distress, um, emotional distress, financial distress. Um, logistical distress um, that would cause them to be in so much pain to want to end their lives. They want the pain to end. That's what suicide is about. And whatever that pain is, they just want it to end. Yeah, well, I, I knew the, uh, uh, the the suicide law that was um, uh, voted on here mm-hmm. and in Oregon, and then you have organizations like I think it is the Hemlock Society. Mm-hmm. That all has people being left behind, even though it is to, to help those who have health conditions to wrap it up early. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the best way to say mm-hmm. it. But still, even when uh, when those who are left behind know, know that that's coming, they're still going to have some response or reaction to it then. I think it's important to distinguish, you know, the more impulsive act of suicide and what you're describing now, which is a planned, assisted end-of-life measure, mm-hmm. um, those are pretty distinctly different. And so when so we, we don't talk call about, those suicides. You, I think you you'll hear about end-of-life measure. I think you'll hear assisted suicide, but um, yeah. you know, to, to understand that they're very distinct, different uh, things is really important because to end your life with medical assistance, uh, you know, you have to have mental health evaluations and plan mm-hmm. this with a doctor. And it's a long process. Suicide is often a more uh, impulsive act. Mm-hmm. Um, and it comes from a, a distress in a, of a different kind. Yeah. Um, so I see them as very distinct and different uh, issues. Do you see it's more traumatic for parents who may lose a child to suicide mm-hmm. than maybe a friend who may lose another adult to suicide? Mm-hmm. That sometimes parents just never get over. So, uh, boy, that's it's it's hard to judge. I've worked with trauma survivors for 25 years. It's normal for trauma survivors to compare their level of grief and trauma as very normal. Um, but the bottom line is everyone hurts in their own special and deep way. Mm-hmm. And so there's no rank of whose grief is more terrible or more important, um, it all impacts uh, folks in a way that is is life-changing and often devastating. So someone who's contemplating suicide saying, well, I'm only going to be the only one hurt in this, mm-hmm. they're fooling themselves. They're fooling themselves, absolutely. Um, and and to understand that is is difficult when you're in suicide crisis. That, that is the only focus that you are 
are having at that time is ending pain. And so it can often be very difficult um, to think about what the impact might be on others. Um, that, that that's not that's not where the head's at probably at that moment. Yeah, no, I've heard that suicide is the most selfish thing a person can do mm-hmm. to someone else. You know, mm-hmm. selfish mm-hmm. like that. So yeah, they're only thinking about themselves again, and so they won't. Oh no, I'm only going to be the only one that's going to hurt. No, no, not so fast, here, dude. Maybe oh. if you thought your the impact to other people. You may draw down that thinking and come up with maybe getting some help to handle the problems that are driving it in the first place. Right. And and sometimes maybe the intent of the suicide is to hurt someone that does mm-hmm. that does happen. But often um, the impact of a suicide is so great. It's like a pebble in a pond. And those those ripples and those waves touch the immediate family and friends and then the coworkers and the neighbors and the schools you know, and, and your community, your larger community around you, it is it is a, a very, very large impact. Yeah, I, I, th- I think I read that one suicide can affect somewhere in the neighborhood of 400 people down the line from mm-hmm. like, family and friends and church and on and on and on and on and on. Absolutely. So this is this is way more, much more um, impacting than oh, just going to happen to me. I'm the only one that's gone. Mm-hmm. No, the ones that stay. There's great pain with those who are left behind. How do you say to parents who have to manage the suicide of a child? What do you say to them? Yeah, because there are things like they have to the the immediate shock of the police coming in doing the investigation, mm-hmm. um, stuff like that. You know, and if it was done in their room, they got to go in there. Mm-hmm. You know, visiting the scene. Mm-hmm. How, how does a how does a parent shore up their emotions to? handle those things that have to be handled. And then once the police and everybody's gone, they got to go in and make over the room and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That That is just, I didn't even think about that. I can't. Well, that's, that's quite a traumatic scenario that you describe. Um, yeah. You're actually describing a traumatic grief scenario. And, uh-huh. and in the, in the field of mental health, traumatic grief is a very specific and distinct uh, issue. And, and without, Treating the trauma, you can't get to the grief, and so you don't na- you don't enter into the natural process of grieving yeah. in that way because there is a trauma that is blocking your ability to grieve. Grieving is important, right? And we do that in different ways in different cultures, but the trauma will block that grief process. And so, how do you, as a parent, handle that? Boy, <laughs> uh, that that's that's a big question. That's a loaded question because there's no right way. On this edition, the subject is the aftermath of suicide. What happens with those persons left behind to cope and struggle with the passing of a loved one? Our guest is Dr. Heather Trish, Manager of Trauma Suicide Prevention and Veteran and Military Services of the Jefferson Center for Mental Health in Lakewood. We will continue our conversation with her on our next edition. I'm Adam Morgan. Do keep in touch. Stay in your game. And we thank you for sharing a few moments of your weekend with us.